0: Hi guys, I'm Giuseppe Santamaria, the photographer behind Men in This Town and editor of Mitt Magazine. Welcome to a new season of Portrait Session, in partnership with Emporio Armani. This season, I'm doing things a bit differently. Instead of shooting Men in This Town in my studio, I'll be capturing them in their natural habitat, living La Dolce Vita and finding out what living the sweet life actually means to them in this day and age. In the season finale, I'm bringing it home, chatting with my partner in crime and publishing creative director, Josh Beggs. Having worked in magazine publishing for over 15 years, Josh has designed and directed for a variety of masseds, including five years at GQ Australia, and currently as creative director of the country's most read magazine, the Australian Women's Weekly. In our chat, we look back at the road that got him to where he is today, and why he wouldn't have it any other way. Head over to meninthistown.com to view selects from our portrait session. And in the meantime, I really hope you enjoy the conversation that took place. Start off by introducing yourself. Who are you? Are we starting? Now? Yeah. I know who you are. Introduce yourself <laughs> to the audience. Start again. Who are you? What are you doing in my house? <laughs> when are we starting? Start. We're recording.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Change>. <laughs> you start, I can't laugh because I sound like I'm going to smoke his coffee. <laughs>
0: There is no Jane, Jane, <laughs> just talk, this is all going in, <laughs> there's a video podcast as well, they are <coughs> doing this, hi oh, Josh, <laughs> introduce yourself,
1: hi, I am, my name's Josh Beggs, I am a creative director from Sydney, Australia.
0: And what are you wearing today?
1: Um, I'm wearing basically what I've been wearing all winter, which is navy pants, a navy overcoat, and a cap from Emporio
0: Armani. You do have a uniform to your style, don't you?
1: I completely believe in uniform dressing, so I don't necessarily like to think about what I'm wearing every day. So, you know, today is a pretty typical day where I'm just wearing a m- monochrome. Yeah. A chrome navy. outfit. Navy. I yeah, wear navy, Na- navy, navy and black so I can never go wrong if I you know everything in my wardrobe is navy and black so I do get made fun of at work for wearing the same thing every day but it's different things it's just the same color and the same tone.
0: Where do you think that comes from the whole idea of just having a uniform?
1: Um, well you know like in my work I'm a creative director in magazines and I've always felt like I like to you know, be creative through other means than how I dress. I don't like necessarily to be, I don't like attention necessarily on myself. I don't like to be distracted by what I'm doing. I like to concentrate on what I'm doing for other people or what I'm working on at work. Or, you know, I, I work with a, a lot of um, fashion stylists and photographers. So, I'm more often concentrating on what's going on in a photo shoot and what other people are going to be wearing and what other people look like rather than what I look like.
0: You also mentioned that in between our own conversations that you... Have we met before? (laughs) That you, uh, in school, always had a uniform up until... Well, from the beginning all the way until the end of high school. So you were definitely used to that and you loved that type of thing where a lot of people probably wouldn't love that.
1: Yeah, I guess, you know, growing up, I changed schools a couple of times. We moved cities um, and that was probably a big thing for me. And I always quite liked a school uniform because it meant that you weren't being judged or getting attention based on wearing the wrong brands or, you know, I moved from Canberra, which is obviously... A lot more kind of inland and isolated and that's where I went to primary school and there you know everyone wore very simple clothes and it was not very trendy or brand driven and then I moved to um, Sydney where it was like you know, what year was that probably like in the mid not early 90s and that was like the peak time for when Sydney was obsessed with surf brands so I went to school and everyone was wearing these particular brands and had, you know, the wetsuit material pencil case that had the (laughs) brand on it. And there was like, all of a sudden I was thrown into this world where there was like a pressure on what brands you had. So instead of actually getting into it, mainly because my mom probably wouldn't, she didn't let me buy it. Um, But rather than getting into that and trying to, uh, you know, try that way to get in with the crowd i just kind of went i'm just gonna lay low and keep it simple and not try too hard
0: so but what did, what were the items of clothing that you bought like were was it the surfy kind of style that you tried to well you know i like on a casual day on a weekend what were you wearing <laughs> <laughs> on a
1: I i remember always i wanted this cute was it cute alliance sweater, which was like, you know, maybe something like Dylan from Beverly Hills 902 And I would wear it was like a big, comfortable, um, sweater. And I guess at the time there was a lot of like flannel shirts and things like that. I just, I never remember it being that important. I was always curious and took notice of what other people were wearing and how other people dressed. I just more observed rather than took part. So it was always more about, you know, kind of admiring other people and, and taking in what they were doing, but not necessarily feeling compelled that I had to do it as well.
0: Hmm. Was university then when you jumped into that, was that a big jolt in that, uh, I have to buy clothes now (laughs) that are presentable?
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess, you know, I think we've talked about it before is that, I mean, you went to a, um, school that had a uniform, but like in North America, it's like, kids go through their whole school without wearing school uniforms and having to decide public. what they... Yeah, public schools have to decide what they wear every day, which was always seemed like crazy to me because it's like that's a a decision that I just never wanted to make. So when I went into university, you know, I feel like still to this day my uniform is a, a school uniform. Like I picked <laughs> colours, I wore similar kind of clothes i just um you know i always felt like i wanted to look um you know s- not i don't i hate to say sophisticated because i would look back an now and there not be sophisticated, not sophisticated at all <laughs> when i but, met you there was some <laughs> uh, look i had so, <laughs> I, I tried a couple of things but i always did find when i found something i liked i stuck with it so I'm probably the mm. worst person with trends because once I've found something I feel comfortable with, I stick with it for a long time. Like you
0: did have like, even just like the check shirts when we first, like, yeah. that was a thing and you had a lot of those, and, yeah. but that was still uniform. Yeah. And it was
1: of it. the time, I guess mm. that it was, but it's always, I've always chosen to be, um, you know, comfortable and, and casual rather than, you know, overdressed or feeling like I'm trying to bring the attention on me because it's always like, you know, being in a creative industry and always being a creative person, I've always wanted the work I do to speak for my creativity and for that to be the focus. I'm, I'm always happy to be the behind the scenes person that's done something and then let the work show for itself. Not It's not about me. And I feel like there's a lot of people like that. I feel like you'd see a lot of fashion designers who are, who are similar in their personal style in that, <clears throat> they might design amazing, elaborate collections and they might all be about print and colour in their um, design work, but they're wearing a black shirt and black pants. It's not about how they dress. It's not about their personal style. It's about, you know, creating something for other people and seeing that is, you know, is how you show your creativity.
0: I've seen the evolution for yourself of kind of in, you know, it was probably more comfortable when you started dressing your own style, then kind of you went, changed jobs, got learned a little bit more, had a more sophisticated look. But now it's almost kind of merged now, that comfortability and sophistication. We're just going
1: back to tracksuit pants now. (laughs) No,
0: but like even just today's outfit, like having a casual cap and a nice jacket and nice pants, it's just it all kind of works together where it's that comfortable, but still sophisticated. Yeah.
1: I never feel uncomfortable. And I guess as I've gotten older, I don't feel in any way like, uh, you know, I mean, I do feel self-conscious sometimes, but I I don't feel self-conscious about having a uniform. Like I think it's a really good, valid kind of productive way of dressing, having, having a well, not even just having, not thinking about it, but having a color palette that you feel comfortable in, you feel a bit more confident, you know, that when you're spending the day at work in amongst a lot of other people, you're going to feel yourself. And, and, you know, I always felt like when I tried, I, when I was at university, I always liked the idea of trying something new or wearing something that I wouldn't normally wear a bright color or things like that but it always felt a bit costumey to me like I always felt like I like looking at this but I don't necessarily feel comfortable in it so I never felt compelled that I had to feel comfortable in it
0: so what did you end up studying in university for the listeners (laughs) um
1: I did a um I went to university for creative arts in graphic design and new media.
0: And what made you kind of think of that? Like, did you, you obviously had a arts background when you were in high school or like, where did even that come from?
1: Um, I, yeah, I was always doing art. I even did graphic design in my high school, which seems really? quite strange Computer? now. N- no, my, <laughs> I, am quite old. So
0: my, um,
1: um, It was, it was, but we did it. Yeah. It was like an elective in year 11 and 12, which was just to do graphic design. I guess it was, you know, like I graduated high school in 1999. So that 10 years time, like, you know, 1990 to the year 2000 was when computers and desktop publishing and, um, all of those programs, like all of Photoshop and Adobe programs kind of started and then started developing. So, looking back at it now doing graphic design and why they were doing that was because it was a really, the start of a really valid career. And it was, I guess it's the same now where in schools they're trying to encourage kids to do coding and all of that kind of stuff because that's where you see jobs. That's where you see the industry growing now. So it's like get everyone into it now because that's where it's going to be growth. And and at that time it was a real forward thinking career kind How of idea it taught?
0: like in what
1: way? um we do it was like a lot of branding i remember i did a um a like a campaign for a pet food brand which was named after my dog and it was all hand done and at the time we were learning like painting with gouache which was you know like matte paint where that was used a lot back then for design projects and it's it was almost about like
0: typography art's But in a commercial way almost. Yeah,
1: it was. It was very much commercial art. And it was the start of using computers. We did use some computer stuff to do typography and stuff like that. And you've got to kind of put it in that context of the time in that that was the first decade that you were having computers that you then were in school and starting to use them to do homework and starting to type your essays instead of handwriting stuff. So it was also they were doing things in school to get us to encourage us to to get to know computers and how we would need to use them because we really obviously would move on into, yeah, the future. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so then what was your university like then?
1: Uh, university was straight into it. So, I mean, I always knew I wanted to be a graphic designer from when I was really little, like even when I was really little and I would um, cut out – my mum always tells me that I would cut out like – I would sneak into my sister's room and cut out flowers or patterns from her duna cover <laughs> and then rearrange them on the floor. So I was always interested in those kind of things. So I always knew I wanted to do that. Um, and I went into university kind of, I... you Cut out
0: flowers from... <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you had to apply. So my university course, you had to apply when you were in your final year of high school before the HSC... I mean before you got your grades um, we had to apply with a portfolio and do an interview um, so I knew that I'd gotten into university before I got my grades back from high school mm-hmm. um, and that was that first kind of thing of like getting judged for your work and having to put together a portfolio and you know when how you do look you go back... through that
0: like well, when you're <laughs> knowing you it's like how do you deal with that at the beginning it's like being judged on your work like that?
1: Well, I think it's probably easier then because you don't know what you're doing hmm. and you don't know what More the expectation naive. are. Yeah. You don't know what the... Um, you don't know what it is you're going to learn, really. Um, you know, back then it was like magazines were just... Like the, the design that you saw around wasn't the, the the amount of design that you see today, so...
0: Well, well what did you... For, for me, when I went into design school, it was broadcast television that was kind of what I knew of design and thought I was going to get into what was your kind of going in that you thought you were going to go more into
1: I think at the time it was very much like logos and branding and that's what you imagine graphic design to be that you're going to sit and design people's logos for businesses and things like that and my knowledge of design outside of that wasn't massive you know you you saw I I can't even remember, to be honest, looking back now, like what, whether I saw magazines or, and and you do look back at magazines from that time and go, oh, well, no wonder you weren't necessarily getting design. Yeah, Um,
0: there wasn't much. Like
1: commercial magazines that you saw, there wasn't necessarily a level of design. Because it
0: was probably just because they were just starting computers. Yeah. And and then it was like, they didn't know how to really creatively use them. Well, I
1: mean, when I went to university in design, wasn't around Dude. so we went into university learning you know it was a graphic design and new media and we were using quark and new zip media. drives and the new, new media, media used well new media was like becoming a you know a web designer and that was using dreamweaver to do <laughs> to build websites and fireworks do you ever remember fireworks There was a program called Fireworks. That was that you would design a website and then you would slice it up and export it into Dreamweaver and it would make a website and it would do all like rollovers and things like that.
0: Fireworks would do that. Yes. Really? Yes. God, I don't even really know. I have a
1: (laughs) master's degree in creative arts in Fireworks.
0: It doesn't work on any computer now.
1: It's (laughs) it's funny now because you look back at that and you kind of, it's a funny thing to have a university degree that, I did learn a lot at university, but obviously a lot of the practical side of it, a lot of the applications and the programs that you learned were very quickly redundant. And Mm. I mean, Quark was redundant by the time I got my first job, it was already onto InDesign. So,
0: Well, your career kind of after school then definitely went through a variety of different types of magazines. You went Mm. straight into magazines. What was the first one that you kind
1: of went into. Well <laughs> I I never really wanted to work in magazines. I never it wasn't the thing that I wanted to do because as a designer I was never that into using photography. I mm. you know, all through university I was much more about graphics and patterns and flat color and you did a lot of
0: poster like graphic posters for like a museum yeah yeah music I, and plays and stuff yeah, like
1: yeah and I did it was a lot more on like the artistic side of graphic design I wasn't that much into kind of branding I wasn't that much into um kind of layouts and photos because I saw it as a missed opportunity where I could put my stamp on it because you were more just you know laying out stuff mm. and I always found it quite boring At the same token, I really wanted to – I'm not very good at not thinking about or not having a plan for what's happening next. I always want to know what I'm going to do. I'm not very good at just going, oh, well, I'll see what happens. Mm. So as it went um, towards the end of university, I applied for a job that was through a recruitment agency um, and I didn't know what it was. And I ended up getting it. Really? Yeah. yeah, it was, I went for an interview with a recruitment agency and they said it was for publishing and um, it's for the I biggest, <laughs> biggest magazine company in Australia and it's a great entry role. And I was like, absolutely, I'm super interested. And they were like, the only thing is it's for an adult magazine. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. And I just <laughs> didn't know what to think. They said, meet the art director. He's a really nice guy. You'll really like him. Um, so I met with the art director and it was really nice. And, um, so I took it because <laughs> at the time magazines were such a growing, massive industry. And this was a entry level right out of university into the biggest publisher in Australia at the time, which was ACP. And, um, so I took the job knowing that, you know, I could start right after university and just see whether I even liked the idea of sitting in an office and making a magazine every day. Mm. Um, and so obviously the magazine, the
0: magazine well, I was. would
1: prefer not to talk about <laughs> it. Um, but you know, it was a pornography magazine, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know, like you say, like the, what you learned there was amazing. and really oh, yeah. set the tone for the rest of your career. Yeah.
1: And I didn't stay there for long, but I worked with a couple of really good art directors who really straight up. Cause I felt like a lot of, People I went to university with and just designers in general can be really um, judgmental about the work that you create. Mm. And I only want to work with these kind of clients. I only want to do work that represents who I am as well. And and, and I, I get that. That's great to have. Whereas I've always kind of been quite practical and like, well, no, it's a job and I want to keep working. That job was really I I can't picture a better, like, entry point because it just taught me this is how you design and focus on what you are good at and know how to do without having to be interested in the content.
0: Mm.
1: And realistically, that is what most design jobs are. You don't get to choose your clients. You don't get to choose, especially at that stage of your career. Fulfilling the brief. Fulfilling a brief and going, okay, this is the content. How do I make that something interesting and something creative out of something you're not particularly interested in which is what you're going to be doing for a lot of your career you're not always on board exactly with what your client or the content that you have to work with you have to be able to problem solve and I think it was really beneficial because I do see people you know still today where they've only ever dealt with things that with content that they are personally invested or interested in and then when it comes to doing something else it's like well i don't know how to do that because mm. i don't like it and it's not always about lacking exactly yeah. and i feel like that even with you you see that in the fashion industry as well with you know obviously now things are changing a little bit but with body positivity and all of that kind of stuff is for a long time designers were kind of not providing for those markets because it wasn't what they like to do. They yeah. like to, you know, especially with women's designers, it's like they want to design a dress for a perfect body. And then when it comes to dressing someone who's plus size or bigger or a different shape, it's like, Oh, I don't really do that. And yeah, and right. that to me is that same idea where it's just like, you know, learn to, to, to design and create things for everyone and everything whether you are interested in it or not you know mm. so i'm always kind of grateful for that start and it taught me a lot and and still other ways that i mentor other designers or talk about you know approach my work is still using things i learned from there so right.
0: so I guess then from there, you ended up going to work at, um, a news weekly magazine, gossip magazine. I've
1: worked at gossip magazines. I've worked at children's Children's magazines.
0: magazines, That was in Toronto. When you came back, you were back at, uh, Bauer ACP. Yeah. Uh, I
1: was working as a creative director at, um, at ACP. It was still ACP across celebrity magazines. Um, and then moved to GQ.
0: And GQ. What? That I know from like just witnessing kind of you getting that job was a big jump for you and kind of was something that more of a jump of like it was a different environment and it's like it was probably just as uncomfortable as starting off at a porn magazine as it was going to this high-end fashion magazine. What was the hesitation and kind of not a hesitation but where did that insecurity kind of come from when you first started?
1: Um, I've always been pretty insecure in work, in the work that I do. Not that I'm not confident. I feel like there's a difference between confidence and being, I think you can be confident and be insecure
0: Hmm.
1: all at the same time. I'm a liberant. So maybe I'll just balance myself (laughs) out with equal measures of insecurity and confidence. Um, But, you know, going into that, it was something completely different. I knew there was a lot of things that I didn't know about, that side of the industry about working deeply in the fashion industry, in doing photo shoots like that. It was a new
0: skill, the photo shoots. It
1: was a new skill and it was a new group of people that I wasn't used to. I was very comfortable in, um, where I was going to another company and going to a title, but you know, GQ was a, you know, it's a, it's a big worldwide brand and taking on a magazine like that when you're the creative director and going, okay, now it's my responsibility for how it looks. And I feel like magazines, you know, at that point had started being really important to me in liking magazines, just as a magazine fan. Mm. So knowing that you're taking over something that is someone's monthly like thing that they get and it means something to them. And they enjoy every page, and there's things that they love about it. And I know I was like that with certain magazines. So taking on that and knowing that, you know, you might disappoint people, or you might want to change it. To, you know, I feel like being a creative director of magazines a lot of the time is having confidence in your own taste. So there's a level of, well, this is my taste, but what if people don't like my taste? Mm. So there. You know, going back to that how you dress kind of thing, it's like I've never wanted to be necessarily judged by my taste. So going into a fashion magazine, it, it is a little bit like putting your taste on the line and seeing if other people like it as well.
0: It's what the whole industry is about, Yeah, isn't it? Yeah,
1: <laughs> it is. It's just an industry based on, well, I like this, so hopefully. And, and I think that's important because I think the, the main thing with a magazine is you are... Curated, curating something for other people. So there's got to be a distinct taste that is unique to the people creating it. Mm. And when you start trying to create a magazine and building all of that content based on what you think people will like, rather than going, this is our taste and this is how we're curating it let's people will come along for the ride but Mm -hmm. when you're trying to cater to too many people or cater to everyone and going well those people are wearing this so let's start doing that it it, i feel like it can get a little bit i feel like it's a magazine's gotta have a clear sense of who it is
0: what magazines had you looked up to when you were trying to apply that to gq like is there a designer or a creative director that you admired from the past or magazines from the past or current magazines that you kind of had inspiration from?
1: I'm not a very good at being like a fanboy. Hmm. I because I feel like whenever anyone and I wouldn't say anyone, but I feel like whenever everyone jumps on someone and it's like they're the thing, it's like, well, no, they're great at what they do, but it doesn't mean that you can apply that to everything. No. And it doesn't mean everything should look like it. And it doesn't mean that everything those people do should look the same every time they move titles, which I feel happens quite a lot, is as a creative director, they get hired just to make that magazine look like the one. They they do
0: the same thing. Do
1: the same thing. And you know, at the time I loved kind of, I liked details. I liked, um, American GQ and Esquire and a lot of those men's ones. I've always loved vanity fair just because I like the mix of articles rather than, you know, it always had a good mix. Mm. um, I can't think of any other particular ones that i was crazy about but. but then
0: i guess what was that perfect magazine that you thought gq could have been that you wanted to create like how did you because you, you were very involved you were the creative director but you really kind of were involved with the editor and kind of thinking of the content to kind of be in there and how to kind of produce the magazine and what you guys you had a vision what was that vision that you wanted to put out there
1: i think across my time and i mean i was there for five years five and a half for nearly six years so through that time my goal was always like this is what everyone else in the world is doing how do we translate that to Australians my thing with when I was at GQ as well was always like that's great but how do we do that with like some warmth and fun to it as well because I always, I do feel like, especially now, like the fashion magazines can become quite cold and a little bit heartless. And I think everything always needs to have a little bit of, um, sense of fun and, and, and that you're the, the experience of picking up a magazine and sitting down and reading it is, you know, where you are, but then you also are diving into other worlds. And that's what, you know, when I work with writers, especially, cause I think, as a creative director, a lot of the time people just presume you're working with – your relationships are with the stylists and with the photographers and that's all you're focused on. Mm. But realistically, a good magazine with good features, your your main relationship a lot of the time is with the writers because they're writing their stories and you've got to work out the best way for people to get into that story and want to, have, want to read that story. So it's a really important relationship because – the writer needs you to sell their story to someone. And I see it like designing a book cover. You know, Mm. I, I don't love magazines that become quite just stripped back and have the same treatment across the whole magazine because that to me just says that all the stories have a very similar tone. They're all as interesting as each other they're all very similar. Whereas I want to sit and read a magazine where if I jump into a a feature story, I want to know I'm jumping into a new world that I'm going to read about and learn something and be opened up to. And the same with the fashion stories. I want to jump into them and be, you know, have an aspect of fantasy and a narrative in the fashion stories, just as much as there should be a narrative in, uh, you know, the feature stories and you take it on a journey the photography and the design should also take you on a journey and have ebbs and flows through the book and not just be the same and consistent yeah. every time. And I
0: think that's the, the the thread for you, the common thread throughout all the magazines you worked at. In fun is what your design, how you describe it, I think. And it's like you've applied it into the fun into so many different aspects where it comes to either porn or kids or (laughs) celebrity. It's like, there's a variety there, but then you get something like with a a luxury title like GQ, but you still apply that fun to it.
1: Yeah. I think it's fun. I I think maybe not fun is the right word, but character. And I feel like all the magazines I've been. Color
0: as well. Character. Colorful. Yeah. Yeah. But,
1: but every magazine needs to have, be a character and that come across in the pages and
0: they're never boring characters though (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) they're
1: always you know they should to me they are should be characters they should have you know you know who they are on the outset but they should have a a few quirks and eccentricities that Hmm. um pop up through the way and have some interest i always like the idea of you know i guess we're meant to make magazines going how will this sell on the newsstand, but I always kind of sold them more of, is this going to be a magazine? Like with the cover, is it going to be something that people want to put on their coffee table and see for a long time? Mm. And then is it going to be one of those issues where you know that people are going to want to keep because they're going to be able to look through it a lot and look back at it in 10 years time and, you know, still find things to look at in them. And I feel like a lot of magazines now sadly don't do that because they have become, very templated and very streamlined to, you know, I, I think when digital kind of started overtaking print to a degree, a lot of people went, okay, well, we need to change print to match that. We need to have white and
0: boring white <laughs> like and, and it, it
1: needs to be functional. And it's like a photo goes here, your headline goes here. And it, I feel like it dumbed people. Like it, it felt to me like, well, we don't need to dumb our audience down like that mm. they know when something's a headline and when it's a sell they don't need it as a web format yeah in the same spot every mm. time in the same things and to me i mean i'm sure it does it it, it would drive other designers in crazy about how i work in that i'm not that tired to to grids and everything being so perfect and you know i've had art directors who sit there and kind of look at layouts and hover a ruler over and go well that doesn't line up with that on that third page and it's like but visually on the third page it looks better than if it lined up
0: it's funny because uh, i'm like that. yes <laughs> so it's yeah. like we're completely i'm referring to you to... Admit <laughs> <laughs> is very much... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's and that's to each their own and the way you yeah, design yeah. it but I, was, I would never say mine is at all a, a commercial thing where that's where your strength is so um strong is kind of doing commercial art Mm. And that's why I think like Andy Warhol is like a, a great example well, that's not, of that. let
1: not got crazy. No, but it's
0: like, it's, uh, people are afraid to, of the word commercial where I think, well, that's where the success is when it comes to business and art. And it's like, you've really have honed that down, I think.
1: And I, And I think, especially when it comes to magazines, people feel like it has to be, there has to be a lot of rules mm. and a lot of, you know, great magazines and they are great magazines, but they are treated with a lot of rules. And when they talk about a redesign, it's like, this is our new grid. This is our new font and size for this headline. And they come with a lot of rules where it's like, well, you know, I've always at GQ, I worked very independently, so I could kind of do whatever I wanted when you're working again with a group of designers, it doesn't lend anyone to kind of grow their creativity or to be able yeah. to try anything else. If you, if you just go, okay, I've redesigned the magazine here, are every rule for every page, don't deviate from that. It, it doesn't give anyone that much creativity and it does suck the fun out of it. And yeah. it is a fun job. Like you shouldn't really, you know, I know I complain about stuff from time to time, but
0: it's, they are we're in a fun industry mm. with, you know... Have fun with it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Have fun with it.
0: So I, after five years there, you kind of decided to leave and kind of... You had been working consistently since you were in high school. So you never really had that break and decided to kind of try the freelance thing. And a lot of the people I interviewed in the podcast, that's where, like, you know, they end up leaving their full-time job to kind of pursue something that was their passion and maybe most likely work for their, themselves or create a business or something like that, where you tried that, but realized that, that wasn't for you. And it's like the luxury for you is kind of having a secure permanent position and having a secure, consistent income coming in. Why, do, why else do you think that freelance period didn't necessarily work for you? Um,
1: I like consistency and consistency makes me feel comfortable <laughs> and <laughs> you know I I know it I, I do feel like there's that there's a lot of well you need to get yourself out of that and you need to grow and change and realize that you could be thinking and it's like but I enjoy that mm-hmm. that's where I feel and I feel like a lot of people think comfortable is a bad word but it, I like that I work best when I'm comfortable and. Freelance life just didn't really suit that for me. I like to know what I'm working on. I like to think about things and try things and freelance stuff where it's like, you know, I I just didn't feel like it gelled with me and it just didn't, um, I like to, I work well with a brief and I work well when I am part of something that I know that I'm kind of dedicating this time to. I like to see the results from my work and i feel like with freelance you don't necessarily get to see the results of your work
0: mm. so then you ended up going to get a new full-time job and that was at the women's weekly what attracted the, you australian, women's the australian women's australian women's and that was obviously such a contrast from being to gq to working on this what the oldest magazine in australia the
1: longest, longest
0: one. yeah it, i mean it's it probably seems strange
1: to anyone from overseas because it's such a uniquely Australian magazine. And but it, title.
0: <laughs> and title.
1: It's the Australian Women's Weekly, which is a monthly, a monthly. Magazine, magazine. But it's... How um, would you
0: compare it to, like, an American magazine?
1: Look, I mean, it isn't that comparable. Um, I think it, it's more if you know the history of it. It started as a women's newspaper mm. in the 1930s. And it was... 1930s? Yeah. And it was one of the first women's newspaper written and edited by women for women. And at the time, when you look back at that, that's pretty extraordinary that in the thirties and the forties, they were making this weekly newspaper that was just dedicated to women's news in a, in a world that just hadn't, wasn't catered for, for women. And maybe that's why there isn't any other versions of it. Like it around the world, because there's a very few things that are dedicated to women in a really broad way it's not about just what to wear it's not just about domestic life it's it was always about women's issues real women's stories um heartfelt stories from you know different communities and then also women in politics even in the 30s That's, talking yeah, about women getting into politics and um you know it's it's been around for 85 years, 86 years this year. So it has gone through um, a lot of iterations <laughs> throughout the years. And so the chance to be a part of that is something that it's a really important magazine in Australian history. And it was really like, um, a proud moment to be asked to be the creative director there because, it's still to this day is australia's number 1 magazine and the most read magazine in the country um like after gonna, 86 years yeah, you and know. if you're going
0: to work in a magazine you might as well work in a magazine that's going to be like it's the best one the best selling yeah. one and it's kind of it has it's going to have an audience we've talked about this that is going to be around for quite a while still um where starting or being at a younger magazine is where the trouble is at, at the moment isn't it
1: yeah well look i think um it, it's got a an audience that is very dedicated to it um, and an audience that keeps on growing um, which is kind of amazing because it is very genuine and there it, it's not content necessarily that can be replicated in a lot of other other you know online or it, it's just covering a lot of things that that don't get covered other other places it has a very different approach to content than a lot of other magazines what did
0: you want to bring to it what was the what kind of stamp did you want to put on it when you first
1: well you know i kind of i always i think people were kind of felt it was quite strange because it's like especially coming from a a men's fashion magazine everyone just presumes you're going to go to another fashion magazine or another luxury Mm -hmm. thing whereas as we've discussed i've kind of jumped around from different things and going into something that's like a mass um, title like that. I just wanted to bring, um, that, you know, a sense of fun, a sense of, um, applying everything that I know from other places to this title that maybe wouldn't necessarily get treated like that. Like I was coming at it from a complete outsider in terms of not being a huge reader of the magazine or the target for the magazine. So it's like, how can I, you know, get how can i put my stamp on on that again content that maybe isn't completely directed at me how do i understand that content and then redirect it for a specific target and that's what i've always found interesting about design is getting a brief knowing who your target is and going what's the best solution to you know designing that content and directing it at that person
0: very interesting game and it's uh, it's interesting to see where it's going to be going and it's i think it's still a fun industry to be in yes there's ups and downs with it but it's like i don't know that we're we're staying in it <laughs> we've stayed in it for so long we might now,
1: not have a choice but um <laughs> i think um yeah it's definitely something that i'm still passionate about and i feel like at the weekly it's an exciting time for you know To grow and see what a massive brand like that, how it can grow and evolve for the future.
0: So what does your average kind of day in Sydney look like for the listeners? I know what you do, but (laughs) what, you know, you have, are you an early person? Do you like waking up early in the morning?
1: Well, interestingly, I was just reading, I just did a sleep test, which was about what kind of sleep personality you are. And my sleep personality was a dolphin which the dolphin was like high.
0: Well, I don't, I don't
1: like, I don't have any affiliation with dolphins at all, but the, um, the dolphin personality type was, um, highly strong, kind of a night owl, but also kind of gets up and just gets on with it quite early in the morning. So it's like the worst of both worlds. Like you're a night owl, but then you also just get up early. Mm -hmm. Whereas there was like a wolf that was, um, getting up, going to bed late, but then not being able to get up early. So, um, so no, I, I get up as we've discussed, I like consistency <laughs> and I like, um, a, a schedule. Um, so I, I usually get up at the same time every day. I, I like to just get on with the day. I like <laughs> a couple of hours. I, I, I tend to go into work quite early cause I, I like to have my giant iced coffee and relax into the morning and be, ready to go by the time everyone else is in the office I don't mind a little bit of quiet time just to get some work done and just think about the day and and what I have to get done
0: what kind of I know you as an introvert and what kind of where does that come from for yourself you obviously have so many people that you're surrounded with at work then you come home and you kind of like to be a little bit more kind of on your own
1: yeah I'm hundred percent an introvert. I I do need to have those moments of, you know, being alone and having some quiet time to rebuild my energy. And in that typical way, I feel like introverts are sometimes a little bit confused with anti-social people or people who don't know how to talk to people or be in public or deal oh, with you people. You definitely
0: know how, you know how to be on and then know how to Yeah. I just thing. don't
1: particularly kind of always enjoy it. I work with, a, you know, I work with my team of designers and photo editors and fashion people and editors and writers. So I'm having a lot of discussions and conversations all day. And at night I really do like to, I like things to be peaceful. I'm very comfortable at home. I'm very much a homebody and I like, you know, it's, it's funny when, you know, you started this podcast talking about, um, how I'm, you know, what, what I'm wearing and what's important to me and that thing. But my real like luxury kind of, of buying things is I buy stuff for the house Mm. because I really, I'm very interested and concerned with the things that surround me. Just not me, (laughs) you know, I like to be comfortable. I like things to look nice at home. I like things to be a certain way and I like them to be curated to a certain degree um to that's my I, taste I, I
0: leave the interior design to you <laughs> because you uh you have the eye for it yeah and, and that and is creating that environment that yes yeah, for you that yeah. is that peaceful and place. to
1: me it's the same as a layout in the magazine that's like i l- like to create how the surroundings are and be settled in it and feel comfortable in it and so you know that is like luxury to me is being at home and being settled and a feeling weekend content. Is nice for you
0: sorry you love a weekend
1: i do love a weekend i like to relax on the weekend i like to spend time with my dog baxter because i don't get to see him enough during the week i'm sure
0: if uh people follow you on instagram they can see many pictures
1: I only of see pictures of baxter <laughs> yes
0: um, so we'll end it off slowly but um i guess how would you describe what what it's like to be you right now what's in your your head state at right now
1: um, well, you know, I'm heading towards a birthday in a couple of weeks, so I'm getting, um, to that age where, My age. how old do I turn now? <laughs> I'm about to turn 38. Yes. Do you not know how old I turn? No, I've seen it for the audience. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I guess I'm heading towards like a, an age, not to say that I'm old at all, but, an age where I'm just like getting more comfortable and content and learning to go. It doesn't necessarily, I I feel like for a long time and for a lot of people, you, you always feel like I've got to be looking for the next thing, ready to move to the next thing. And I guess I'm just at a stage where I'm convincing myself that it's okay not to know what that next stage is working in an industry that has changed so dramatically in the 20 years I've been working at it and it does get to a stage where you feel like, Oh, I've got to jump to the next thing because this thing might not be here mm. where I'm just feeling like, I don't know what the next stage is, especially, you know, in my career. So just learn to let it happen. Go with it. Yeah. Which is a life lesson, which has taken me a, probably a long time and probably still a long time, but a lot yeah, longer yeah. to learn after this. But that's where I'm I'm at at the moment.
0: And final question. What is your favorite suite? Oh, this, this is a... the last favorite suite because it's the last episode of the season. So make it a good one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm that's really out. tricky.
1: <laughs> My favorite suite. Well, obviously I work at a... Um, a magazine that does a lot of food as well. So I get a lot of treats at work.
0: That I don't hear about that often because I think you just eat by yourself. <laughs> you never tell me about the Well, I don't bring them home for no, you exactly. is what the problem is. Yeah.
1: But you know, my favorite sweet would have to be anything that my mum makes. I feel like whenever I'm at my mum's place, she's always made something and that is always the sweetest thing because I don't, you know, I don't we don't really Cook sweets for ourselves and we don't really have anything. So I always like something. I always like, you know, a homemade carrot cake.
0: Mm, your mom does that well. Yeah.
1: Something that's sweet, but not too sweet.
0: Yeah.
1: I like balance. A bit of a
0: savoury to it. Yeah.
1: I like balance, in, <laughs> balance and consistency. And that's what I like. <laughs> <laughs> but I am also partial to uh, anything that's mint and chocolate.
0: Yes. You love the mint. Yes. And how you... You managed to get me not to eat your sweets. Well, that's a trick to, <laughs>
1: to enjoying life as well—is finding a treat that no one else likes in the house, so you get to enjoy it yourself. Faster.
0: <laughs> All right, thank you, Josh. That's it. Thank we'll, uh, you. End there. Um, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to season six of Portrait Session. I'm so grateful to Emporio Armani for being such an amazing partner, helping me share the stories of men in this town. We'll be back next year for season six, celebrating a decade of men in this town. But if you can't wait until then, pick up a copy of Mitt Magazine for some more great stories and help support indie publishing. Head over to meninthistown.com for more details. Talk again soon.